0: This morning to prepare us for our Bible reading, uh, I would like all of those who were born in New Mexico to sit on this side. Everyone not born in New Mexico, please sit on this side at this time. If you were born in New Mexico, sit on this side. If you were not born in New Mexico, please sit on that side. David's over here with you all. Somebody please grab that little girl. She was born in New Mexico. She has to sit on the other side. Sorry. Help, Andrew. All right. We have one set of rules for this side, another set of rules for this side. Um, This side over here, this morning, um, you need to follow along in your Bibles. You guys don't need your Bibles at all. All right. You are New Mexico born, right? So get your Bibles out, please, and turn, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 21. No, don't use your Bibles. This side should use your Bible. Where are your Bibles? Use your Bible? <laughs> Where are your Bibles, young people? All you New Mexicans, you should have Bibles before all these people over here that were born in all other places. Wait a minute okay i was not born in new mexico either all right you all have them there and so whenever i stop i would like this side to help me out by filling in the next word in the passage whenever i stop so you will have to follow along in your bibles in Acts chapter 21 rest of you over here please just listen carefully that's all you need to do um if you don't fill in the next word from your Bible, you'll be punished. So you better have a Bible. Who does, all these people do not have a Bible. David, can you bring them Bibles forward, please? We need those, because if these people do not read, they will be punished severely. Huh? Acts what? Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Please treat those well. You know how to treat them. You're New Mexicans. We have higher expectations of you. Acts chapter 21. By the way, New Mexico is significantly bigger than the state of Israel. So Acts 21, beginning verse 15, is where we'll be reading. And whenever I stop, if the New Mexicans will help out and fill in the next word, that would be greatly appreciated this morning in our Bible reading. Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. After those days we packed and went up to... And also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain manason of Cyprus, an early... with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to... Some of you aren't reading with me. Theodore, I want to hear you yell the word out when I stop. Okay, ready? The brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us too, and all the were present. When he had greeted, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when heard it, glorified the Lord. And said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the who are among the Gentiles to forsake, saying that they ought not to their children nor to walk according to the, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for we'll hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a, tell them, I'm sorry, take them and purify, and be purified with them, and pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you also walk orderly, and keep the? But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. The exercise this morning was obviously purposeful to our Bible reading. I hope you saw its application. Um, that uh, for many in the first 30 years of the church saw the church as two different groups, two very different entities that had different... There we go. We kind of get forgetful of what that meant. We have been following Paul through his Gentilian ministry, and we saw that his pattern was to always go to the Jews first. He went to the synagogue first. He sought to reach them for Christ. He uh, then usually created a firestorm of discussion, we'll put the, use that word, of argument. Um, out of the midst of that, some people started to saying profane things. And so rather than profaning God in the midst of the synagogue, he simply says, okay, if you don't want to hear this any further, I will leave. And we have a whole uh, body of Gentiles anxiously waiting for this message to get out of the synagogue and and out into their place of residence, of, of social gathering. And with Paul, as he goes out to the Gentiles, comes the Jews who believed. And there were a good number of them. And so out there in the world, um, and by the world I mean outside of the boundaries of Israel, um, they had come to become comfortable With what it meant to be the church. To be called by Christ and not be saved by the law. But being saved by the powerful working of Christ fulfilling the law for them. That the law pointed to their sin and Christ uh, resolved that sin issue. And so by receiving him we could fulfill the law. Not in our own righteousness but in the righteousness of Christ. And we read through the books of the New Testament. We have a highly developed theology at this point of the difference between law and grace and the between uh, the sacrifices of the Old Testament and Christ's sacrifice. Um, but that wasn't really the case in many parts of Christianity outside of the ministry of Paul. Paul developed... Um, this attitude among the believers all around, everywhere he went, that this was um, the plan of God was to reach all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he taught it very clearly, not out of the New Testament, but out of the Old Testament. Uh, he demonstrated and proved that Christ uh, was not did not just come to deliver Israel, either Israel born of Israel, nor of those who had converted to Judaism. But he had come to save all men. And thus he includes within the Abrahamic covenant uh, the intention to bless all the nations through Abraham's seed, singular. And so the church out there, outside of the boundaries of Israel, uh, had grown comfortable with that, except for those who did not believe, who were among the Jews. And these are the people that are going to cause some of the problems in Jerusalem. But they weren't the only people that were going to cause problems for Paul in Jerusalem, as we're going to see very quickly in our text this morning. And we want to look into it. What uh, is the attitude of leadership of the church in Jerusalem towards this dilemma? And the dilemma is is real to them, and it's not real to us. We're, We're thousands of years from it, a couple thousand years from it. We, are, we have disassociated ourselves largely with um, Judaism and, uh, and we don't often feel this. But it was very real in the early church. And we want to examine what was being proposed and what was the condition of the church that God wanted remedied. He wanted this to be taken care of. And uh, Paul is going to be the lightning rod for that remedy. Not just by his writing of the epistles, but by what actually happens to him. And we're going to see that occur before we do so. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity. Again, to look, look into your word. We pray your spirit might direct this time to guard it from error and opinion and the ideas of men, but might we might uh, recognize the authority of your word and its instruction, and that we might embrace it as humble people, ready to submit ourselves to your truth, to allow it to impact our lives and transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul has is now in the land of Israel, has been for a little bit. He has uh, now packed up, and all of his entourage. Remember, these are representatives from various churches in Achaia, in Greece, in Thessalonica, and in Asia. And uh, they're coming in, uh, and and Asia is Turkey, not like China, that area. You need to think in terms of Turkey, uh, that region. They're coming in and they're all carrying gifts from their churches to uh, present to the church of Jerusalem because of the famine that was going on there and the great need that was represented there. Um, Luke doesn't tell us a lot about that um, until we get later on in Acts during Paul's defense of himself. Um, He'll he'll list that. We also know that from the books of Corinthians and and, uh, that this was their intent. This is largely why they were traveling with Paul. Paul didn't want to handle the money at all. He had these men uh, as representatives of the church, and so he had a mixture. He had a mixture of people like Timothy, who had, were half-bred, um, Greek and Jewish, um, but Paul did have him circumcised so that he could minister both sides with Paul. Um, we're going to have Jewish men. We're going to have Greek-speaking men. Uh, one of them in particular apparently um, had no Concept of Judaism, really, or any of the language, or uh, and was was purely uh, and fully Gentile, and was well known to people in, in that sense. But we come in and we have them uh, meeting up with uh, the disciples in Caesarea by the sea, and with them uh, they they find a man from Cyprus who apparently uh, like. Others um, an early disciples, some have even tried to connect him to another uh, Cyprian, um, but uh, probably through Barnabas that they were able to make this contact um, and they were going to stay with him. And so this man is open to having this entire group stay at his house and uh, you might say, well, okay, he's, he's very hospitable. No, he is allowing this entire group to stay in his house which includes Gentiles. And again, to us, we don't think very much of that, um, but it was pretty significant at this point. So they have a place. Paul has relatives there. We're going to find his nephews there um, in Jerusalem, um, but he's not going to impose on them. This man um, has a heart and a willingness. He's an early disciple, which means he has been training God's word, Uh, may have been reached in the first missionary journey of Paul, and, they ha- and they're arriving there in uh, Jerusalem with a place to stay. And verse 17 says, They got to Jerusalem, the brethren, which is the church, received us gladly. And in the midst of that, one of the things we should probably talk about is um, that they were receiving individuals with a gift to help their circumstances that uh, even their willingness to receive the gift from the from the churches out there away from Israel was somewhat in debate whether they would actually receive those funds. Um, but they did receive them. They received the, the messengers. They received the funds. Uh, they did so gladly. And the next day now, they are going to meet with the leadership of the church. And James was the one put forward. And this is... Uh, not the apostle James, but the brother of our Lord. And so we find uh, James, as well as all the elders, were present. And this is reminiscent of what we saw uh, back in chapter 15 with the Jerusalem Council. And so they're gathered together. They're going to officially and formally receive these, Paul and his uh, fellow representatives of the churches. And uh, this is where things start getting exciting. Verse 19, when he had greeted them, Um, He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, this wasn't brand new information to them. This was a furthering of the account of how God was opening the doors of faith to the Gentiles. This is just, remember, they had already had the testimony from the first missionary journey. How in Asia Minor and, and in that region that, that many received Christ their Savior, that the gospel is going out to the Gentiles with great effect. So that had already been heard and received. But now it's going even farther. They haven't really heard about what's been going on out there in Corinth, in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi. And so he comes in to share with them a full report. Now he has made one visit into Jerusalem with no indication that he spent this kind of time. In, in fact, many believe that Paul purposefully wanted these representatives from the churches with him to give this full report. That now they're going to be confronted not just with Paul and Silas's word to this, but now you've got all of these men there representing the churches saying, we love the Lord. And we have received him as our Savior and Lord, and we are anxious to serve him, and we have served him by traveling with Paul and bringing this gift, and and they're going to recount the message. And we talked about the necessity of of bringing a formal greeting from one body of saints to another body of saints that, again, we lose here in in the States. We've lost that. And so uh, when I go and visit a church on vacation, Um, they don't ask, and I tell them, I'm here on vacation, and if you know someone's going to church on their vacation, they must be church-going people, right? They don't necessarily ask me about my home church and ask me to stand up and just greet that church from this church. Um, But you do that in other countries, you visit, and they will expect you to stand up and bring a greeting from your church to their church. That's true in Haiti, that was true in Peru, that was true in India. That was the expectation. You're going to come, and that was true in Cuba. Uh, When we went to Havana, Cuba, they well, bring a greeting from your church. And we each, there are ten pastors, and so we each had to bring a greeting from our church. And then I brought you a greeting from that church. And so here, Paul wants to take this opportunity and let them bring greetings from their churches. It's not just me as one individual, but I want you to see the faces of the church. I want you to hear their testimony, not just my testimony. And here he presents them. And the whole ministry of the Gentiles is is laid out before them. And in the beginning verse 20, it sounds like it was well received. Um, They heard that word. They glorified God. Well, praise God that that's happening out there. Praise God for what he's doing through you out there. They are going to glorify God for what God is doing out there. But they do not confuse that with a spirit and a heart that says we're willing to accept that here. And that's going to be revealed in the balance of verse 20. Because we find that they want to rehearse some things as well. It says, And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed... And that's exciting, isn't it? Jerusalem has got a lot of believers running around in it. We have gone from thousands to very likely tens of thousands of believers in and around Jerusalem and Judea uh, and, and uh, the outermost parts. They have gotten the word of God out. They have left the temple, if you will, and finally disseminated the gospel. Uh, we've had some effectual ministry. Uh, we certainly think of of, uh, of uh, Philip and and uh, the evangelist, we met him on the seashore. And so the, the, the word of the Lord has, has penetrated Israel as well as penetrating the Roman Empire. And so I, we don't have a problem with that. And Paul, I'm sure, is excited about that because in Romans he says that his desire for Israel, they should be saved. So he's thrilled to hear that. But then there's one additional phrase. It says, and they are all zealous for the law. That doesn't mean a lot to us. Maybe it does. Um, some of us might read that and think, well, they just really want to be good Jews as well as good believers in Jesus Christ. And so it has reaffirmed them in their faith and now they want to keep the law. Um, but, but it's a little more significant than that. In fact, the evidence is, is that this is going to be a point of contention In the church we're not talking about unbelieving jews who have rejected christ as their messiah and have beaten paul and 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 hunted down the church no we're not talking about that we're not talking about the unbelievers we are talking about these myriads of jews who have been saved but they are zealous for the law And we find out what the point of contention is going to be in the next verse. It says, But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. And we suddenly find out the problem. The problem was all these Jews in Israel who were receiving Christ as their Savior, believing in Him, did not grasp the nature of that salvation to its fullest and deepest. They didn't grasp the fact that this was a a completion of the law, that Christ fulfills the law, that the law's purpose was to point to our sin, to instruct us and teach us in it, that we might recognize that there is nothing we can do to get rid of that sin. We have to keep offering sacrifices over and over again, and we have to, uh, we have all of this, and none of us can keep the law, but they were sure that in Christ they could keep the law. But in fact, Christ calls them to something far above the law. But they're zealous for the law instead of zealous for the law of Christ, they're zealous for the law of Moses. And they don't necessarily like what they're hearing from the outer circles of the church outside of the borders of Israel. It says they've heard some things. They've heard some things that you have taught the Jews not to circumcise their children, that they don't have to keep the customs of Moses, um, that the church is free from all of that. And uh, I was reading through some of my commentators last night, yesterday, late in the afternoon, and and um, I usually try to consult them last, not first. Um, and I was a little shocked. Uh, several of the commentators, these are good Bible scholars, saying, well, Paul never taught this. Paul never taught this. He never really taught that the Jews weren't to circumcise and weren't to keep the law. Um, but by this point, Paul had already written several books of the, of the New Testament, including the book of Galatians, including the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and I'm pretty sure, and probably Romans by now as well, I'm pretty sure he makes it very clear that circumcision means nothing to anybody. Whether you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, woman or male, it doesn't matter. Circumcision is now an irrelevance. So yes, the, the, the fact is true, Paul has taught all men, that particularly the, the Jews that were in the churches that he established, that you don't have to keep the law. If you want to, go ahead. But don't think that you have a higher righteousness than someone else. Do you remember the first few chapters of Romans where he says, you think you were improved because you have the law? No, it's Christ. He fulfills the law for us. It's not our righteousness, but it's the, the righteousness that Christ gives us that we stand on. The law just instructed me in sin, and instructed me in my need, instructed me that there had to be a, a, a sacrifice, or had to be a payment made that I couldn't make, because I'm not qualified, because I cannot keep the law. So as one must come that is perfect to take my place, to die in my stead. And so, I disagree with my commentator friends. I think Paul did teach this. He didn't, he didn't maybe not the, uh, that they must uh, do this, but that's not what they say. They say, you're teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Uh, that is to, to not hold to the laws of Moses. That the Old Testament law is complete in Christ. And yes, Paul did teach that. He taught it very clearly. And in the Galatian churches, I mean, he was adamant. If you accept Christ and then want to go back and keep the law, you are a foolish one and you are jeopardizing your whole salvation. So yes, this is exactly what Paul taught. The rumors are completely true. He did tell them, Not necessarily to forsake, but that there is no reason to keep the law in that sense anymore because we are called to a, a law that is above that, as Christ taught. The law that he spells out also in the book of Galatians in the later chapters, having castigated the Galatian people for listening to these Judaizers who come in and say, it's okay to receive Christ, but you must also keep the law. So was the norm in Israel. The church in Israel, the leadership of the church in Israel, remember, we're talking about the elders. These are the guys who made a determination back in chapter 15 that we're not going to hold the Gentiles to these rules. We only have a couple of expectations of them, and... That's all. We're not going to burden them with anything more. And they created something I don't think Paul understood had been created until now. I think he saw it coming out of Jerusalem. And Galatians talks about him confronting Peter um, up in Antioch. He talks about him confronting um, Judaizers who were coming out of Jerusalem. But I think now it's dawning on everyone that this is from the top down. This is the the prevailing spirit that what, what the Jerusalem council did back there when it was supposed to set the church free, it only set the Gentile part of the church free in the minds of the elders of the church of Jerusalem. In the mind of Paul, Barnabas, the church of Antioch, and all the other churches out there, it set everyone free. But for the Jerusalem eldership, what they had created was two churches they had created the jewish church and they had created the gentile church and they had segregated them if not physically they had segregated them spiritually and at some point over the years they had they had reinterpreted the determination of the council that it only applied to the Gentiles and that all Jews who received Christ should also keep the law. Their conclusion in verse 22, interesting, uh, they kind of throw up their hands. What should we do? It's only two words in your New King James. What then? Uh, But essentially say, We're at a loss to... How do we handle this? You're obviously teaching these things. The Jews here in Jerusalem have heard these things. He's written them down in circular letters. The book of Galatians was a circular letter all through Asia Minor to all the churches in Galatia. Well, that's not a church. That's a bunch of churches. From his first missionary journey, you'll find those churches. And so... Um, The letter's been circulating. Here's the news. People saying, you're saying that the circumcision doesn't mean anything. What are we supposed to do now? This is going to cause a problem in our church. (laughs) You know why it's going to cause a problem in the church? Because it's going to make them have to make a theological choice that isn't easy and isn't going to make everyone happy. Imagine that. Imagine that. That's called biblical leadership. To have to make choices that don't satisfy everyone but is an effort to satisfy God's word. And come in conflict with our established uh, beliefs. The Jews had established beliefs that if I accept Jesus as my Savior, it's going to empower me to be able to keep the law, and so I'm going to be even more zealous of keeping the law. And wherever I go, I'm going to challenge people to keep the law more and more and more and more. And, and i got to tell you, we have those people around today. Uh, you, you go into a lot of the Messianic churches, and that's what they're put preaching. They are preaching that. In the Messianic churches where you accept Jesus as, you don't accept Jesus, you accept Yeshua as your Messiah, and then you keep the law of Moses. And I just keep asking them, "Does the book of Galatians not in your Bible? I mean, is it not there? What's What's wrong with you? So we still have those kind of people today around us. And I wish I could say they're only here, but I've encountered them in other countries as well. And so we find that this is still an issue today. And so the question, what then? What do we do about this? Still needs to be resolved. And their statement is the assembly is going to have to meet. We're going to have to all meet together. We're going to have to, uh, uh, because they are going to hear that you are here. Who's the they? It's not unbelieving Jews. It's not the Sanhedrin. It's Jewish law keepers in the church. They're going to hear that you've arrived. And they're going to hear about these men you brought with you. And it's going to be a point of contention in our church. And so we're going to all have to meet, and we're going to have to work out how we're going to deal with this. Well, in Paul's mind, there really was nothing To deal with. to, To think that this applies the council decision to one part of the church and not all the church is absurd. But they had adopted that in their practice in Jerusalem. And now their compromise is coming to a crescendo. And I believe that their counsel to Paul... Um, is going to be the tool that God is going to use to force them to address this properly once and for all. They're going to give him counsel to satisfy these people. And that these people are Jewish believers in the church who are zealous for the law. To satisfy them, we want you to portray yourself and to present yourself as someone also zealous for the law, or at least submissive to the law here in Jerusalem. Well, he had come there. He had taken a vow to come there. He wanted to be there at Pentecost. His purposes um, were to complete this, and, and we're not completely uh, informed on all of that. He's going to give us some more information when we get into the, his, his uh, defense of himself. Um, but, but he comes there, and so here's their recommendation. Uh, Until we meet, just to try to quiet this group and to keep them, these Judaizing believers in the church, Uh, we have four men who have taken a vow. It's a Nazarite vow. It says, um, take them, be purified with them. He's not taking the Nazarite vow. That would take about 60 days for purification. So these four men took it earlier, uh, more than likely before Passover, around Passover. Um, They're ready to be purified. They just lack the funds. To do so, um, and this should be a little disconcerting to us too, a little bit, that, that this is still being propagated in the church to take these kinds of vows. Um, interesting that James himself tells us in his book of James about vowing, not just let your yes be yes, your no be no. And let's not make these vows before the Lord. What a change of heart James is going to have. And I think this is the event that makes that change happen in his life. So, take these four men who we have in the church here who are too poor to pay the sacrificial price to fulfill, to complete their vow. Be purified with them. Um, you're going to pay their expenses, uh, and, uh, the, the requirement of shaving their head is essentially the, the hair that you grow between, you would shave your head when you take the vow. The hair you grow between, um, the taking of the vow and the fulfillment of the vow is dedicated to the Lord. And so, You would shave your vow 60 days, however many days later until you were able to afford to fulfill and complete the vow, all the hair that you have grown in that time would be shaved off, um, would be placed and burned before the Lord. And it would be a sacrifice. Kind of weird to you guys, I know, but that's what it was. So the hair itself was part of their purification. And so all the hair grown from the time they took the vow until the time they completed the vow was dedicated to the Lord. And so he says pay for them, then they can shave their heads, uh, and then it says, All may know that those things which were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself walk orderly and keep the law. Now, Paul is going to submit to this. He's going to do exactly what they tell him to do. Um, He is responding, um, some would contend, in opposition to all things he's taught. Um, But he's not fully. He is recognizing that you can do acts of the law without violating your conscience. You can circumcise your children, and many Americans do, just because Americans do. You can circumcise your boys, um, but but that's a Usually they do it for medical reasons or whatever, but um, that's your choice, but don't come and say that somehow that is part of your worship. Because we know circumcision means nothing, uncircumcision means nothing. And so for Paul, he could keep any of the laws because he was living a life above them, but he was not bound to them And the ritual laws um, equally completed in Christ. And so um, he is being instructed to do this. And here we have a powerful testimony of who Paul is. is. Um, We think, well, this guy is writing scripture. This guy is establishing churches. This guy is is developing uh, large portions of the church's theology has been entrusted to him. And here he is before the James and the elders, and we find him in complete submission. You don't find him challenging them. We don't find him um, rebuking them at this point. He simply is there, and he says, okay, this is what you want me to do? I can do those without clean conscience. I can take these men and help fund them to do that, um, There's nothing inherently wrong with what they're doing unless they're doing it as a means towards acceptance with God. So there's not really anything wrong with that. Um, And so I'll do that and I will walk. Um, And again, the intention of James and the elders was to communicate to zealous Jewish believers that Paul himself is still keeping the law but we know that, that can't be true, don't we? There's no way he could keep all the Jewish law and do what he does. <laughs> I mean, he, he lives with Gentiles. That alone makes him impure. Right? And so he is committed himself to a seven-day process. He has to go in and pay the vow. He has to appear the first day um, for sure the the third day, I think, and the fifth, and then the final. And so he's got a few commitments to be in the temple during this week of purification. Uh, and so he's doing this, and, and the intention of James the elders is we want to placate these people who are zealous for the law. We want them to just look at you and say, well, he's just being a good Jewish kid. Well, he's not a kid anymore, he's an old man. He's just being a good Jewish man. Look, he's even paying for these other people to do to do the Nazarene vow. He's paying them to their way. Um, he himself is going in, and um, this is what our instructions to you. Now, as far as your brethren that are with you, our brethren that are with you, verse twenty-five. Concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decide they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual morality. They rehearse the requirements of the Jerusalem council that was convened. But notice that in their mind, that only applied to the Gentiles. And that meant they expected Paul to keep the law as a good Jew. That he would keep the whole law. Well, we already know that if you try to keep the law, now you are bound by the law. Paul himself has already written that. But he is going to submit to these men. He's in their camp, in their city. um, And he's going to be an agent, I believe, of God unraveling the foolishness of this condition of the church that you are here saying Christ is our Lord, He is our Deliverer, our Messiah, He is our Propitiation, He is, he is <laughs> um, all that is necessary. But then you have all these people that are zealous for the law and you have capitulated to them. You have, you have compromised for them and now you have an expectation that every Jew who receives Christ is going to also keep all the law. Paul does not respond verbally at all. His response is complete obedience. Verse 26, Paul took the men the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. And now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. We're going to stop right there because that's going to get in next week. But we find this condition in the church. And Paul humbles himself and accepts the conditions that he could easily prove and argue the complete error of them. But that's going to be for another time. Because remember, James just says, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to meet. We're going to hash this all out later. That's their conclusion. We'll hash this all out later, but for the time being, until we are able to hash this all out, and you can just imagine Paul going, oh, we're going to hash it out. Here's what we want you to do. Let's just reduce the arguments from that side a little bit, and you do these things. And the evidence is that for that week long, that Paul's going in and out of the temple with these four men, that it seemed to quiet this part of the church, the Jewish law-keeping part of the church. It seemed to quiet them down. It seemed to get them all relaxed. Um, But what was not anticipated by (laughs) by the elders of the Church of Jerusalem was that that's not the only people you should be thinking about. There are unbelieving Jews who have tried to kill this man over and over and over again, have traveled to other cities to hunt him down, who are also in the temple at this time of year. And boy, do they recognize him. Farthest thing from their mind that that was going on. All they could think of myopically was about their little problem that they had created. Because they had created two churches, the Jewish church and the Gentile church, they had segregated them spiritually, applied different rules to each of them, and they didn't even realize we well, got we you know with myriads of Jews coming to Christ, they didn't recognize that all these pilgrims coming in from outlying areas during this time between Passover and Pentecost that there are all these opposing Jews who are not believers. I just want to share with you, this is what happens in churches, today still. We get internally focused on problems within the church that are largely generated because we are not following God's word. And we start trying to make everyone get along, and that usually involves a little bit of compromise. And what starts out as a little bit, often ends up as a lot. But even a little bit of compromise is going to set up this scenario where we have a a spirit that's wrong in the church. And how wrong did it feel earlier this service to have the New Mexicans sitting here, born New Mexicans, and the rest of you sitting over How wrong did that feel? For some of you, it split your families up, didn't it? Daniel and Maria couldn't sit together. Maria had to sit over there. My family couldn't sit together. Younger Roberts couldn't. Leachmans couldn't. Couldn't sit with their children. This is the family of God. And when we bring in these kinds of things and we start distinguishing and dividing and 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 uh, because we want to compromise the truth, because I don't feel comfortable with that, because that's not how I was raised. I don't really care how you were raised. I don't care how I was raised. I have one concern, and that is, what does God expect from me? What is God's vision for what the church should act like and look like? What is God's view of what it means to be uh, to to have a liberty in Christ and yet that love confines that liberty um, so that we are considerate of others and and yet we are held to the truth uh, without compromise ever. Well churches get muddled in that because people don't like the truth. They don't they want to compromise a little bit. Well, that's how I raised and and we start looking at other things that aren't really about Christ and whether it's the law or whether it's worship styles or whether it's fill in the blank. We become myopic. The church is dealing with all this stuff and we're not even thinking of the fact that we have a world of unbelievers out there who hate Christ and His. And here, Paul is going to submit. And we should honor him for that. He submits to the authority of Jerusalem, the elders there. There will come a time, Lord willing, that he can address them and maybe his circular letter will actually get to them eventually. Apparently, it did get around because peter himself and says paul writes some hard things to understand right peter himself writes that so his letters did finally trickle in to jerusalem not yet really it seems the spirit is going to change there but paul's going to surrender he's going to submit to them his conscience isn't going to be violated in doing these things but um, His arrest is going to get everyone's attention really fast. Luke isn't going to emphasize it at all. In fact, he's going to say almost nothing about the Jerusalem leadership the rest of the book. They are going to just disappear. They're not going to be at at his arrest. Um, They are not going to be at his trials. They're not going to be part of the entourage that gets him successfully out of Jerusalem to Caesarea. They are not going to appear there at Caesarea. We have no more contact, really, with the elders of Jerusalem. And I know this is a little bit of an argument from silence, and those are always very dangerous. Um, But I look at that and say, well, why? Where were they? Well, I think they're backing up and going, we were so dumb. And I believe when you get to the book of James, you see James writing, you can start to see some of that come out. Where James, um, even though he talks about faith without works is dead and, and that, you, that you need to have works, um, that by your works you show your faith, um, that we can still mix in some of the position here. But the leadership has to recognize we are so caught up in trying to make our church get along And having created two churches and now it's come to a crisis point of decision and we basically threw up our arms and said we don't know what to do um, so go do this while we figure it out. They realized what they had done to Paul. That they had put him in a position of grave jeopardy. Now we have studied for weeks that this was God's plan. God, by his Holy Spirit, told Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to have to answer before kings. This is going to happen to you. He's driven by the Spirit to Jerusalem. We've had the Spirit come and give him fair warnings along the way of what to expect when he got there. Um, he didn't receive what he, from the church that, but he received it from his people, the Israel, and we have a big national expectation too, and I think that all of this around Paul really re-emphasized to the church of Jerusalem that this is not the millennial kingdom, people. It's not what's going on here. I think there's a real nationalism among the church of Jerusalem that we're going to be so successful, we're going to bring all Israel to Christ, and then he's going to have his kingdom here with us. Um, and there's almost that attitude, that, that, that post millennialism kind of spirit there in Jerusalem these days, this nationalism um, that's evident in the testimony they have. But here now, suddenly, Paul is going to be taken, humbly fulfilling everything they asked of him, as long as it didn't violate his conscience. He's going to make that very clear later on in his defense. He's going to do it, and he does. He says, this doesn't violate my conscience. I came here to fulfill a vow. I was going to go to the temple and do this anyway. I can pay for those guys along the way. And if it solves your problem as well, fine. It's not violating my conscience. But once it turns sour, whose doorstep does it fall on? It falls on James and the Jerusalem elders to some degree. the human realm. We can always talk about, well, God had this purpose. But again, we find the, here you want to be so pressed to keep the law for the Jews, and yet here is a Jewish man in the temple keeping the law, doing exactly what you tell him to do. Um, And he is treated like our Lord. He is, he is in prison. He's, he's, they want to kill him. The mobs are shouting out, away with this man, just like Jesus. Um, and, and we have almost a, a, a replication of what happened with Stephen. Uh, we, we have a, a, just a horrible thing in a time period when there is essentially a lot of peace in Jerusalem over the Christian community because they are all zealous for the law. And peace does not equal righteousness. Just because you are at peace with those around you, in fact, it might be evidence of the opposite. If you're at peace with the world, Christ says, you're at enmity. You should have, the world should hate you because they hated me. And the church had largely come into a peaceful setting. Why? Because they were so zealous for the law. So why would any of the Sanhedrin have a problem with them? They were good keepers of the law. Oh, they followed that Jesus, but not where Jesus would have led them. Now here comes Paul. And it's going to stir this all up. Not just in Judaism, but it's going to stir it up in the church. Are we two churches, or are we one? Is there two sets of rules, or is there just one? Are there different classifications within the church, or are we just one? in Christ. The church of Jerusalem is going to learn a very necessary lesson. They're going to learn it at the expense largely of Paul and we're going to see some of what happens there but I think it's time the church recoils and rethinks what have we been doing? we just sent this man in there with no thought of anything but our own interests. They haven't supported him. They haven't backed him up. They're not going to be found anywhere throughout the whole trial. Much like the disciples were suddenly vacant when Jesus was being tried. Where's the Jerusalem church? Paul's companions are going to follow him oh yeah, Luke's going to be right there. He's going to be there. Several of them are going to be in the shipwreck. They're going to go with him all the way to Rome. But where's the church? Paul's just brought them a wonderful message. The work of Christ is powerfully effectual out there. He's brought them aid from the churches for their Serious uh, famine conditions, their financial needs. He has surrendered to their authority and done what they've asked him to do. And the question now is, where are they going to be the rest of the book? And I have to consider that they are still asking the question, what then? (laughs) What have we to do What are we doing? And it's time the church, not just this church, but the church, capital C, starts to ask the same question, what are we doing? Let's just hold to the truth of God's word and focus our attention on the fact that we need to minister it to the world that's going to hate us for holding to this truth. Let's not compromise it. Let's not... Let's not spoil it. Let's not ignore it. Let's hold to it and recognize the battle isn't here. Shouldn't be. The battle is there. Does that mean we aren't willing to engage error when it comes in the church? Of course not. We're going to engage error. We're going to take our Bibles, we're going to study them, we're going to apply them, but uh, we're also going to be ready to humble ourselves and to submit to its authority. Even when it has to change our beliefs or practices. And that demands, come, I'll be ready. And when the church is ready to conform itself to Christ and to the truth of his word, then we are really ready to recognize and engage that there is a conflict out there that we have been warned of that we're frankly not ready for. We're not ready for it because we've been myopic in our teaching. Because we have to unteach all of the junk that is out there that isn't in God's word. And we have to define our message and clarify it again and again and again and again. And all the while, Satan laughs because we are not fulfilling our complete mission. And that is to reach the lost out there. Well, Paul is going to finish his mission. And in a sense, Jerusalem... Rejected Paul and his message. And so God's going to send him to the Gentiles from now on. And he's going to be dealing with commanders and centurions and guards and barbarians, as they call them, on islands. He's going to be all over the place. And one of these, you're going to find very few times. You're going to find him encountering Jews. Rome, the exception. He's going to complete his mission. We do not have two churches. There is one church. There are no separate rules for different. There are no classifications. There is one. Those who will conform themselves to Christ. And we have a warfare to engage in. It is a spiritual one that we are not there to kill others, but to bring them to life, even if it costs us our own. That is our mission. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for a very powerful testimony of Paul. And Lord, we see a grave concern. Elements that come in and affected the church of Jerusalem in a spirit of segregation that was there. And Lord, our prayers that you might guard our hearts from that within our own congregation and within, among your people. And Lord, we rejoice in the ones who are called by your name who will stand in your righteousness, not their own. And having done all, that they will stand. Being watchful to that end of your coming. Help us to fulfill the mission that you've given to us in these days. To Take the truth to those who would never recognize it and hate it and despise it, that some might repent. You might win some to your truth. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.